0: Good evening. If we haven't met yet, my name is Alex. I've called Grace Church home for about four years now, although it's actually been part of my story for a lot longer. And I came to Nottingham to study. I graduated. I did the intern year here at Grace, would recommend. Um, And I now live and work in Nottingham, although some of you are still kind enough to ask me what I'm studying, which is great. I'll take it. I've been based at the 7 p.m. for all that time and have the very great privilege of co-leading a home group, so by way of introduction. But if you've been with us for the past couple of months then, you'll know that as a church we've been looking together at the book of Exodus. And Exodus is the second book in the Bible, and broadly speaking, it details the story of the people of Israel, the Israelites, being freed from slavery to the Egyptians by God through Moses and then goes on to detail their life outside of Egypt. So today we're picking up the narrative in Exodus chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me there. If you haven't got one, don't worry, the words will appear on the screen behind me. It is quite a long passage, so I'm actually only going to focus on the first three verses. But I'm reading from the ESV translation, and it goes like this. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And then it just finishes this little section by saying, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. So if you haven't gathered from this little snippet, we have here a song. Ooh, different. Did you know there are 185 songs in the Bible? Granted, 150 of them are the Psalms, but that still leaves 35 more, and I'm not going to go through them all, but a few examples. You've got Deborah and Barak's victory song in Judges. There's a victory song about David. Saul has killed thousands. David, tens of thousands. Catchy. Uh, (laughs) LAUGHTER there are sad songs, songs of lament in Ezekiel, or David's song of lament for Saul and Jonathan. And then, of course, there's a song of songs, which, who would have guessed it, is also a song. <laughs> but as I was looking at this, it got me thinking, well, what's so great about music then? What's so great about song if the Bible is such a musical book? And I have a few thoughts. Firstly, I don't really consider myself a singer, but there's something about song that has such a universal appeal. If you think about all the reasons why we sing, you sing happy birthday, you sing nursery rhymes to children, you sing at sporting events, you sing when you're dancing on a night out, or there's always that half singing, half chanting from the 10 on the back seat of the bus. There's something about song that is bonding and unifying, and so much more so for the people of Israel who've just been freed from Egypt. You know, they're now officially their own nation, if you like, and this could even be considered their national anthem of sorts. And it's certainly a song that is repeated throughout the Bible. You'll see echoes of it throughout scripture everywhere. And there's something about music that helps us to retain information. You know, we... Teach kids the alphabet through song. There's something that helps you remember. And so song is such a great way for Israel to preserve their history in a society where a lot of them can't necessarily read or write. But finally, there's something about singing that allows you to express your heart in a way that you can't always do when talking. Israel is just seen God do the miraculous. How do you put that into words? I like the way one commentator puts it. He says, there are moods of the soul that can only be expressed in poetry and music. So what's the mood of this song I hear you ask? It's a song of celebration, pure and simple. It's a celebration of who God is and what he has done. And note, I say who God is. It might be called the Song of Moses, but it's all about God. It says, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. God has miraculously parted the waters of the Red Sea to allow the Israelites to pass through and then drown the entire Egyptian army in that same sea. But all the language of it testifies to God's power. If are its chariots and his host he has cast, or sometimes the word is hurled, like a javelin, into the sea. Your right hand, which is a symbol of power, your right hand, O oh Lord, shatters the enemy. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. And does that mean that God blew his nose and the waters kind of stood on edge well? The seas did part, but it's it's figurative language. It's like God just has to lift his little finger and the whole natural world is at his command. He is that powerful. And God is no match for his enemies. And it really brings to life the words of Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, Who can be against us? And that is true for us as a people of God today. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, it's an easy thing to say, isn't it? But it's quite often a more difficult thing to believe. A couple of years ago, one of my lovely housemates received a card from a family member. And it was a beautiful card. It had a very thoughtful message inside of it. But the thing that made this card so unique was that it had Jesus on the front, and he was surrounded by animals. And when I say surrounded, I mean like he's got birds lined up in his arm, there's a squirrel in one hand, there's a rabbit in the other, there's some deer gazing lovingly up at him. And we thought it was hilarious because it was a bit like, is this Jesus or is this Snow White? Like, I'm not, I'm not really sure. So we actually affectionately turned the card Snow White Jesus, and, We do still reference that today. My point is, is God kind? Yes. Is he loving? Yes. Would woodland creatures flock to him if they saw him? Quite possibly. (laughs) But that is not all that he is, and we're missing a trick if we think that's all he is. In the verses we just read, it says in verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. It says the Lord is a man of war. In the book of Revelation, chapter 19, the writer John has a vision, and this is what he sees. He says, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of god and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen white and pure were following him on white horses this is so far from snow white jesus and the issue for some of you tonight is that you do still have that image in your head you you believe that god hears you you believe that you see he sees your problems but you don't quite believe he is powerful enough to do anything about them. You're kind of thinking he's sitting there going, mm, "Oh yeah, that does sound really difficult. I'm, I'm so sorry that that's happening for you." But do you know what God being a warrior means for you? It means that he goes to battle against evil. He goes to battle against everything that is in opposition to him, and therefore everything that is in opposition to you. He's not passive. He is active. And that is good news for us, because, let's face it, we've all got battles. I wonder what you're battling this evening? Anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, sin and habits that you can't break, insecurity, inadequacy, perfectionism, health issues, both minor and chronic, fear, Fear of the future, fear of what's going to happen for you after university. Battling things people are saying about you, either because you're a Christian or otherwise. Stress. Some of you are still battling lies that some bully or a family member spoke over you years ago that still haunt you, and you're still trying to prove yourself. If you're battling this evening that's okay. It's not like you become a Christian and all your problems suddenly melt away. The Israelites did not pass through the Red Sea and enter their new land and just have a jolly time of it. There were people inhabiting that land. There were battles they had to fight. There were people they had to face. And to be honest, they didn't have a lot going for them. They've not got chariots like the Egyptians. They've not got loads and loads of people. They've not got allies. They've not got peace treaties. But do you know what they do have? Or rather, who they have? A mighty warrior, a God who knows how to fight, who fights on their behalf, and who always wins. Do you know what you have? A mighty warrior, a God who knows how to fight, who fights on your behalf, and who always wins. And some of you just need to let him do that for you tonight. Some of you just need to let him fight on your behalf. As Israel say in verse 2, they say, The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. You are not your strength. I am not my strength. And sometimes we can forget that because... We live in this world that tells us that you've got to be strong in yourself. Guys, I feel particularly for you because there's so much stigma, isn't there? You've you got to be strong. You can't show your weakness. You've got to take it on the chin. Man up. And women to the same extent, oh, you're a strong, independent woman. You don't need no man. You don't need anybody to fight for you. But then, what happens when we face our circumstances and actually... We feel like we're losing. We can't overcome it. We can't defeat it. We can't get ourselves out of it. Suddenly, we feel like there's something wrong with us. But there's not anything wrong with us. It's just not how we were made to be. As men and women created in the image of God, we are we are called to display strength, guys. You are called to display um, a glorious strength to the world, and, and women the same. But it's not our strength. It's His strength. And his strength is so much better. I think so often the problem is we feel like we are the ones on the front line and we are the ones doing battle. And we're looking behind us going, God, where are you? I thought you said you'd have my back. When God's already out in front leading the charge and slaying your giants. I love the way the song puts it. It's a song called Defender and the lyrics go like this. You go before I know that you've even gone to win my war. You come back with the head of my enemy. You come back and you call it my victory. Ask him to go ahead of you into your battlefield. I'll be honest, there are more days then I'd like to admit where I wake up and I think, Lord, I can't do this. I do not have the strength to face this day. And sometimes it's because, objectively, there's something not great in that day that I need to face. And sometimes it's just because the daily grind gets to you, you know? And the best thing I can do on those days is pray and say, Lord, go ahead of me. Go ahead of me. Fight for me. And... My advice to you is to do the same. Ask him to go ahead of you into that exam room. Ask him to go ahead of you into that doctor's waiting room. Ask him to go ahead of you into your boss's office. Ask him to go ahead of you into that social event that brings you loads of anxiety, because he will do it. Ask him to fight your battles for you, and he will do it, because he loves to be the hero of the story because he is created to be the hero of our story, not us. As Paul puts it, his grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my weakness. I've got a dry mouth. Some of you might be thinking tonight, okay, Alex, I get it. He's powerful. I get it. But I've yet to experience that in my situation. When will he bring me that special someone? When will my friends and family come to the knowledge of Jesus as Lord? When will he provide for me? When will he deliver me from this awful situation and headspace that I've been in for months? I hear you. But know this, your God is a warrior, which means he's powerful. But your God is a warrior, which means he has a plan. Think about it. You don't win a war by just showing up and having a go at it and hoping it turns out all right. You win a war with preparation, strategy, and military precision. And our God's got all of those. In verse 19, it says, For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. That's some precise timing right there. I'll be honest, if I was an Israelite walking across the seabed and the entire Egyptian army is coming after me, I might be thinking, Lord, what are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. But God knows the moment that last Israelite steps out of the seabed onto dry land and has happened to time it so that the entire Egyptian army is in a vulnerable situation so that at the point he brings the waters back on them, they're taken out just like that. His timing is perfect. His timing is perfect, but it's not our timing. His plan is good, but it doesn't always look like our plan. When you've been waiting for a child and you're only getting older. When you're in a situation where you think something has just got to give. Or when you're in a situation that is getting worse, not better. It can make this question, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? When I was um, preparing for this preach, I knew the date of it, months in advance. So March the 1st comes around, I'm like, March the 1st, I have a month. I have a month to prepare for this, to read, to soak it in, to feel like I know what God's trying to say to me. And I tried it, and I didn't really hear anything. I got really frustrated because the date is getting closer and closer and closer. And it wasn't until Friday, and I mean two days ago, that I felt like I had the breakthrough that I needed, that I felt like I heard from God. And obviously I was like, thank you, Jesus. But I was also like, why? Why do you always have to leave it so late? Why do you always have to cut it so fine? It's so uncomfortable for me. It's so stressful. (laughs) And I felt like God said very simply, not your strength, Al, mine. Not your glory, Al, mine. And it's been like, ooh. But to be honest, I think it, it gets to the crux of a lot of those questions. When is God going to show up? Because he will show up, but when? And to be honest, I think it's at the point where he gets the most glory, where he comes into your situation because you cannot fix it, you cannot get yourself out of it, and he is the one that gets the most glory. He's not unable, he has a plan, and it might not always look like your plan. And I'll be honest, sometimes his plan does not look like deliverance out of your situation, which can be a really hard thing to hear. But his plan is always to draw you closer to himself. Why? Because at the end of the day, yes, he's powerful, but he's also personal. As the Israelites sing, the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my song. Friends, is this not the greatest claim of Christianity, that you can know this powerful, awesome God personally and intimately like you'd know a friend? God is not a generic faceless force. God is not the universe. God is not karma. God is not, oh, I'm really glad you found peace in yourself. And I say that because people have said that to me and and, and friends who I love dearly, so it's not a criticism, but it is a misunderstanding. Because I've not found peace in myself. I've had an experience, a supernatural experience, where I have met with the living God, and it has changed my life, forever. He's personal. And you can know the supreme God for yourself in that personal way too. He's always drawing us deeper into knowledge of himself, deeper into relationship with him. And I love the way the Israelites put it. They say, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That's not a head knowledge thing. That's an experience. And to be honest, you only really know Jesus as your saviour when you're in need of saving. I went skiing in January for the first time. Hilarious, is There was a running joke amongst my friends that I was either going to be graceful as a doe, or I was going to be Bambi on ice. And uh, I have to say, it was a bit more of the latter. One memorable occasion was on day four, where I went from the baby slope up the mountain. And obviously, I was still on the easiest route. But there was this section of the route I was on where my path cut horizontally across this much steeper slope. So all I had to do was ski straight across, which I did. Halfway. (laughs) And then I veered violently right. And suddenly, I'm skiing down this really steep slope. And for some reason, I've still not learned how to stop. So I do the only thing I know how to do, which is allow myself to plow into this deep pile of snow in the middle of the slope. And it's like, okay, I've stopped. I'm still upright. Great. And I've just got to get back up on my path. Except every time I try to move, I'm slipping further down the slope. Every time I try to do the little sidestep thing, I'm still slipping further down the slope and I have no polls, error. (laughs) And no word of a lie, this is what happened. I stood there with my hands on my hips like this, and I said out loud, I went, Lord, now what? (laughs) What am I supposed to do? Every time I try to move, I'm slipping further down the slope. I don't know where my group is. I don't know where my instructor is. I'm really tired. (laughs) My legs hurt. And I just want to be at the bottom of the mountain. You have got to help me. You have got to help me. And then I stood there and wondered how many hours of daylight there were left. And (laughs) just thought about what a pathetic and expensive way this was to die. And then, over the crest of the hill, this man appears. And he skis straight up to me. And he holds out his arm like this, and I think, oh my goodness, Jesus has come back. <laughs> no, I don't. Obviously, I don't. But I did think, a saviour, and bless him, this lovely French man, holds me back up the slope and sets me on the right path. Amazing. <laughs> it's a funny story, but it's not far off the picture of what God has done for us. Because as hard as it is to hear, Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to him, that's reconciled to God, through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? I'll be honest with you, I've never really thought of myself as an enemy of God. It's just not the label I'd like to go for. But as I said earlier, anything that is in opposition to God, he doesn't doesn't like it. He won't tolerate it. Sin is in opposition to God because we we fall short. We fall short of his standard of perfection. And the Bible says the only way to to get around that is to pay the price, pay the penalty for sin. And the penalty for sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. And you kind of think, well, sorry, wait, how does that work? I can't not never do anything wrong ever again. But you're telling me the only other option is eternal separation from God. I feel, I feel like my hands are tied a bit here. It's true. We're stuck, right? We need a saviour. But this is what the second half of that verse says. We are reconciled him through the death of his son. So when Jesus came down to earth, and died on that cross, he took our sin, he took our shame, he paid the price for us, so that we don't have to experience that separation from God, he experienced it himself. Thankfully it was not eternal separation, because when he died he rose again three days later, and he, he lives on. He got us out of the stickiest situation that we could have been in, that we could have been in, And we go from being enemies of God to being beloved sons and daughters. Yes, the Israelites were delivered in a miraculous way, but we have experienced an even greater salvation. Not just being saved from hell, but being saved to know God and to be known by God. And he does know you. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows every thought and worry that flits across your mind. He knows the times that you cry and nobody else sees it because you won't let them. He knows what breaks your heart. He knows what brings you joy. He knows what makes you smile. He knows your biggest fears. He knows your wildest dreams. He knows you and he loves you. And isn't this one of the greatest cries of the human heart to be fully known and fully loved? We can have that in Jesus. Isn't that incredible? I get to that. You know, this song, this song of Moses, is the first song that appears in the Bible. But did you know it's also the last? In Revelation chapter 15, it says this. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Although it says Song of Moses and Song of the Lamb, the the inference is not that they're separate, but that they're the same. And you might think, well, why? Why not just the Song of the Lamb? Why this other song? Well, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it can be easy to think, oh, Jesus is my Savior because He saved me. Well, actually, God has always been Savior, so He saved you. And He is worthy of praise for every single historical act that he has performed that brings him glory. So if you're a Christian here this evening, the deliverance of the Israelites out of Egypt is your spiritual ancestry. You can praise him for that. You can praise him for all of the events and things that have happened throughout history in your lifetime, in your parents' lifetime, and things in the present too. He is so worthy of our praise. But I like the way that Spurgeon puts it. He says this, This song, it teaches us not only to praise God concerning the literal overthrow of Egypt but to praise him concerning the overthrow of all the powers of evil and the final deliverance of all the chosen. This is our God that reigns forever and ever, our powerful yet personal God and we get to be with him forever and ever And suddenly you understand why the Israelites sing it. Who, O Lord, is like you among the gods? I'll leave you with this last quote. It says this, He who has God for his strength will have him for his song. And he to whom Jehovah has become salvation will exalt his name. Let's exalt his name this evening.